Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Business Success and Coffee podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dean Isaacs, who really threw me. Uh, He and I haven't spoken before, but he really threw me when uh, he started talking because I thought, I recognise the accent, but I'm pretty sure he's not here in the UK. And sure enough, it's a Brit that's in Denver, Colorado, and uh, certainly still has a little bit, even after 30 years of being in the US, uh, has quite a bit of a an English accent as well, a UK accent. So uh, that threw me a little bit, listeners, and I'm sure you'll pick up on that as we go through. But Dean has spent most of his time working with B2B businesses, consultants and experts, and they hire him to help them achieve their business growth dreams by creating predictable, sustainable revenue. His approach is simple, which I like, and that is to identify and eliminate the friction we unintentionally create in our marketing and in our sales. By eliminating the friction effect, we can generate better quality leads, shorten the sales process, and close those high ticket deals with our ideal clients. Buyers have changed the way that they find, evaluate, and buy business services. I think we all know that, particularly in recent times. But unfortunately, many B2B businesses haven't effectively changed the way that they market and sell. So Dean loves helping experts change the way that they think and operate their businesses, the belief that they need to invest more and more hours into their business to grow is wrong. They don't. And I completely agree with that, Dean. What a great uh, introduction and glad to have you on today's podcast. Well, thanks, Simon. I appreciate you having me on this morning. So, you're right in the fact that you know we do have that that friction, and I'm really looking forward to talking about that more and the way that businesses haven't effectively changed. And it's quite ironic, isn't it, that I think in a in a world and an economy we've gone through so much change, but people have so readily gone back to the things that they've always done, even though so much change is still happening and buying behaviors etc have have changed enormously haven't they so it's it's really strange how we've gone back so quickly yeah, yeah it, it really is it's funny that i think we acknowledge that our market especially in the b2b space that buyers have changed the way they buy right access yeah. to information self-education or we know that but yeah I think marketers are a little more um, up to date in some ways in the way they're marketing and trying to generate leads. But sellers, salespeople are using the same techniques that they did 20, 30 years ago. You know, consultative selling has been like the the go to selling methodology. Right. But it was developed in the 70s. Yeah. Do we, do we think the buyers have changed the way they buy in the last 50 years? Probably. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's. It, it, I think in these tough times, people people revert back to old habits, and and now's the time to change, right? Now's the time to evolve, and and the successful ones are doing that. Yeah, and it, and it's interesting because you know you mentioned the seventies, 
uh, and people have been bought up, you know, probably in the 80s and the 90s. And I certainly remember, you know, those cringeworthy sales tactics that were in books and training uh, in those days. And, you know, I'm, I'm coming up to 55 now. So you expect somebody my age to still be entrenched in those ways, perhaps. But actually, I'm seeing it in the younger generation of salespeople as well, because it still seems to be the go to education and training in sales doesn't it and and we're yeah. seeing people who should be fresh and different okay some are but we you know, it's not an age thing is it it's it's definitely that sector and and that it, genre it, it is and i think i think there's there's this influence factor right so if yeah. folks of our generation the 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 gen x's if you will right we're leading businesses we're running sales teams we're teaching we're coaching so the, the, those younger folks coming into selling and sales, that's who they're being influenced by. And yeah. I think there's, there's this sort of like big paradigm going on. There's the sort of older school consultative selling, which to me means ask leading questions to help yeah. uncover a need that I can sell to, right? Yeah. Not really consulting truly, it's just this leading questioning process. So there's that one end of the paradigm. The other end of the paradigm is, connect and pitch on LinkedIn, right? The, the oh. social selling that doesn't work as well. And, and so the, the, in the middle somewhere is this approach that I call, and I, 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 I sort of um, support collaborative selling, Yeah. right? And truly being a collaborator with your prospect, being more empathetic with your prospect. And, and the goal isn't to sell them something, the goal is to help them solve that problem. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just, it changes mindset completely. Um, and I think empathy is missing in a lot of what we do, marketing and sales wise, you know, running our businesses. And, and, and we need to get back to more of that too. Yeah. And I got so disappointed yesterday with LinkedIn and somebody reaching out because I had this really nice guy who got a really good profile, reach out with a really good introductory message. And it was clearly, you know, it wasn't a sell by chat team that were doing it. It was clearly him that would, was doing it. And, and that initial contact was really good. I gave a great response. He, re, he replied to my response, which is quite, quite nice and quite different. But then after that, said, that's amazing. That's great that you said this, this and this. And then the last two or three messages have just been hammering home the sale of the automation product that he's got and it's the relationship has broken down so quickly i thought it was going to be so good now i thought this is somebody actually i could be interested in i might pass referrals to but because now this person has just gone straight into that what can he sell to me uh because i've shown a little bit of interest in having a chat with him bang <laughs> That relationship is broken and uh yeah, yeah. so true so true it, it, it's it's sad it's sad it is but the good thing is as a brit ex-brit you drink tea but you also I love do. coffee so let's talk about uh a bit of both for those so what's what's the coffee that you drink and is is there anywhere in particular should i visit uh denver that i could go for a great coffee as well 
Yeah, we've we've got our fair share of big brands here, right? Like everybody yeah. does. But every every area of town has their own small coffee shops. So you you can't. You, it's like if you want um, uh, craft brew beers, yeah. right? There's plenty of breweries, and you want good local brew uh, roasted coffee. You 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 can't miss it, right? Just drive yeah. down any main street, and you'll find one. So we're we're very fortunate to to have to have that. But my my go to, right? I, I uh, I, I buy my coffee online and I use it. I go to a, a company called Necessary Coffee. Oh, okay. And they're, and they're like a small, you know, specialty brewer. And they've got like their, they've got my daily, my daily Java is is their necessary yeah. blend. I go to that. That's my go-to right now. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, I've said this on so many episodes of, of this podcast. You know, it's business success and coffee. And I've not <laughs> had one coffee shop or roaster anybody to do with coffee that and I've asked plenty and I've some people have said they're going to introduce me I'm just looking for that one episode where we can get somebody who actually you know is a coffee producer in any kind of way onto this <laughs> podcast that would be great so tell me a little bit about the the tea you know I mean it's, it's strange isn't it because everybody thinks we in the UK you know a big tea drinkers and we certainly are there's no doubt about it but I think for the first time in a long while, coffee has now become the most popular drink here uh, in, in the UK and has overtaken tea or certainly matched tea uh, yeah. you know, very, very closely. As, as you say, most of the big brands, the Costa Coffees, the Starbucks and you know the Cafe Nero's, is, there's plenty over here that I'll give a shout out, open sponsorship for many of them, of course. Uh, <laughs> only joking. Um, not really. Um, yeah. but how, how do you, what, what's the, what's the tea? When would you drink your tea and any favorite teas? Yeah. So coffee's my go-to in the morning and most of yeah. the day actually, but tea for me is the afternoon and in the evening, like, like any good Brit, I can drink caffeine all the way up to bedtime and it doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really affect me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, I, my go-to is PG tips. Thanks to Amazon. I can get it from the UK pretty, pretty quickly. Right. So PG tips in the afternoon and evening uh, and coffee in the morning during, during the day. Yeah. I must admit, you know, we, we used to be PG tips. Then we went to Tetley. Um, and then we, I can't remember. I think we went to Harrogate. And we had a cup of tea, not in the in the Betty's tea rooms, but we had it uh, tea that our neighbours paid for. I think it was afternoon tea, and Angela really loved it. My wife and she said, "Oh, what's this?" And they said, "Oh, this is Yorkshire tea." So now the only thing we have is Yorkshire tea, and thankfully it's one of those brands as well that's become a lot more accessible through supermarkets and and general retailers. Um, so we get really good tea and at a reasonable price. Uh, and we don't have to go away to Harrogate for it as well. So uh, yeah. I'll have yeah. to look it up. Yorkshire tea. I'm sure Amazon carries it. And, you know, PG Tips and, and all of the sort of Brit brands are pretty inexpensive. You go to Tesco's and spend a couple of quid on a box yeah. here. So from Amazon, you're going to spend $10 for, for <laughs> a small box. I'm willing to pay the price of a good tea. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So how do, how do you take your coffee and how do you take your tea? Um, I, I drink my coffee two ways. So I'll drink black coffee, no problem. Love love yep. black coffee. But I I just bought a new coffee machine, and it's one of those sort of like fancy automated espresso machines, and it does all the drinks. And so I, I'm I'm indulging in all that right now. So the lattes okay. and the 
you, you name it. I, I'll pretty much drink yeah. it if it's got coffee in it. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think I, I found I've, I've got a Nespresso machine and I've got one of those frothers at the side of it. And the first couple of weeks, like you say, everything was had milk frothed in it. Um, <laughs> I'm not much of a milk fan in coffee, in fairness. But, you know, we had to do it because it was part of the, the machine. And, yeah, it lasted about four weeks. And then I can't remember the last time we used it, probably about two and a half years ago. Uh, so so how about the tea? Just a splash of milk, mate. That's it. Yeah. Oh, builder's tea then. Good. You good. know it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I went to a client's yesterday, uh, Dean, and I don't normally have tea when I go to clients. Uh, but I'd had way too much coffee already. And I was, I was starting to feel the effect of it a little bit. So uh, Richard said, you know, what would you like, tea or coffee? And I said, actually, I'd like a tea. Uh, and he said, how do you take your tea? What? You know, I said, if it looks like He-Man, then that's the colour that I like my tea. <laughs> and he brought the tea out, and it was the perfect He-Man cartoon character. You know, that yes. over-tanned He-Man look. It was perfect. Yeah. So that's how I always <laughs> describe my tea. It should look like He-Man. That's funny. And yeah. it also shows our generation that we know what He-Man looks like, right? <laughs> yeah, and a cartoon as well, yeah. That's fine. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So we, we've we talked a little bit about you know the time that you're spending working with B2B businesses, consultants, and, and experts. And I love the way you said about experts and you know, helping them change the way that they think and operate their businesses. Tell us a little bit about what you've been working on in your own business. Have there been any significant changes of late? Any new things you've been working on or something you've been fixing in your business? Yeah, so I try and drink my own Kool-Aid, right? And, and evolve mm. and, and adapt to the marketplace. And certainly a lot of the things that we're focusing on now uh, in our business is what we're teaching our clients. So this sort of shift in how we sell and communicate with, with clients is a big part of that. But really, uh, we've got two brands, right? We've got a, a brand called the Vantage Group and we've got a brand called the Growth Collaborative. And, and the, I've owned my, I started my business about 12 years ago. Before that, I owned a management consulting and strategic planning business. So I bring a lot of sort of diverse background to what we do. Yep. But Vantage Group is focused on businesses, B2B businesses like you described, in the sort of 2 to $20 million revenue space. Nice. Uh, and they've got, you know, fairly complex needs. They're looking to scale, looking to grow. They're looking at predictability in their business. And so that's the core of what we've done. Yeah. But about three years ago, um, we added this growth collaborative brand to our business, which is focused on um, earlier stage entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, small businesses that have really all the same needs, but their scale is different and their revenue is different. And so we we started this, this group consulting model where we bring business owners together and provide them all the same services and expertise, but in a group format. So they get that mastermind community sure. piece as well. And that's something we've been focusing a lot on over the last 12 months is really supporting that smaller business community because a lot of people that found themselves out of work are now this solopreneurs. They're trying to figure out how to, they're experts, right? They're experts in the thing they do, but they're not experts in building and growing their businesses. And that's where we can support them yeah. in a group, in a group setting. Yeah. And for me, you know, likewise, I probably moved more to groups probably about three, four years ago, four years ago now. Uh, and I think groups, for me, served as the way to scale my own business. 
so you know very often you know we we look at ourselves and how we can scale our own businesses and i'm glad you said there about you know walking the walk because that's really important and that's been a great theme of this podcast as well um but also there's a great value to the people in the group and it's interesting at no point then did you mention that it's a lower cost option because it's the value the group brings isn't it and i think a lot of people listening to this particularly those coaches and consultants out there always seem to feel that the group should be the the low cost option and it's not it's the high value option for our clients isn't it and and that's quite a shift isn't it is that a shift you've had to make or how how do you sell that value you know we're talking about sales you know how do you yeah. convince people of the value in group yeah it's it's funny because i think our tendency is to want to discount that because it's a group and we get mm. leverage and all that stuff in our business but the but the truth is is that if you can take a a, a small business from ten thousand bucks a month to thirty thousand bucks a month in six months yeah. that's a that's a massive change in lifestyle in income in support in growing their team the, the perceived value of that actually can be much higher than a lot high ticket consulting engagement with a larger business where you move the dial very a small amount. Yeah. So it, it, it's all about perspective and perception. And, and I think the other powerful thing about groups is a lot of times they'll show up for us as the leader of the group, right? Our content, mm. our expertise, but they often stay and gain a second layer of value because of the members, the other people they meet, yeah. the relationships they build, the referrals. One of the things I tell my new members is, I can guarantee that within the first 12 months, you'll pay back whatever you pay me just in the referrals you get from the other members in the group. Yeah. If nothing else, you've grown your business and it's cost you nothing and you've gone through this learning process too. So yeah, it, it's, it's actually the, our mindset as the leader of the group more than it is the members in terms of value and pricing. Yeah, and I, I completely agree. Yeah, it, it's definitely in, in the people that are hosting it. And I think one of the challenges I found was actually letting go of my ego a little bit to believe that the group sessions aren't all about what they take from me and actually giving people the space because some of the members have some real nuggets, don't they? And we shouldn't feel, as people hosting any kind of mastermind or any kind of group, that it all has to come from us and that if members see it coming from members, they're going to devalue you. They're not if they see you as the facilitator of that that just adds to the value but you've got to give them the space haven't you? you've got to give them the area to allow them to be able to do that and help each other as well yeah you do you it i, I see myself as like the seed planter and the mm -hmm. guide right yeah uh, and then step out the way i i've been in groups of masterminds and paid a lot of money where it all became the, it, the the focus was on the leader sharing his or her wisdom and taking up all the space and sucking all the air out of the room right and i came away with less value and, and stuck with those groups for far less time than than what we're describing yeah yeah so I, i've got to ask uh, the question about the friction effect as, as you referred to it in in your introduction and eliminating that um what are the items of friction in your own business, first of all, then? Give us some ideas of what you've had to remove and eliminate from your own uh, friction effects in your business. Yeah, I think the lessons I've learned in my business are a lot of what I teach and, and consult with my clients on. And so when I, when I talk about friction, really what I'm referring to is 
um, the tension between buyer and seller from vendor and client, right? Mm. Where, where there's, there's a lack of alignment. And anytime there's a lack of alignment, it, cre it creates friction, right? It creates fear, uncertainty, and doubt on the side of the buyer. So yeah. for, for us, um, I'm, I'm actually in the process of launching a new scorecard quiz tool for, for actually could be for your audience too. Um, it's it's um, called the Revenue Roadblocks Quiz. Yeah. And and we there are roadblocks in scaling and growing revenue, and you've got to identify where they are. And usually we look at four areas. So we looked at four areas inside of our business, our marketing, yeah. our sales, our vision and strategy, and then our systems and people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you boil down businesses into those four quadrants, you can figure out where the friction is internally. Sometimes yeah. it's within your team members and how you execute. Sometimes it's between you and your client or your marketplace. And so we learn a lot about message, our message and our positioning and how we price and package, right? All of the fundamentals. Yeah, yeah. And that's what we're really focusing with clients on as well. Yeah, that's great. And out of those, when you're working with clients, have you found any that have become more prominent in, in recent times? You know, obviously we've been through quite a, a change as we record this podcast in, in the way that we do business and you know, the economy, et cetera, and the whole effect of the pandemic as we talked about earlier on and people have gone back to normal. But have you found anything from a roadblock point of view that's become, or from a friction point of view, that's become more prominent yeah, the, the, the friction is driven by this sort of lack of awareness in the business. So yeah. maybe I can answer the question with, with sort of how we go about helping solve it. And that might okay. help. Yeah, yeah, please. If it, you can get smart people in a room that are business owners and all talk about their businesses and how they're going to market and sell. But if those people aren't, don't accurately represent your ideal buyer, then you're not aligned. So the best place to get information is to talk to clients. So one of the first things we do when we work with our clients is we interview their clients. We do client interviews. We talk to them firsthand yeah. and understand all of the things that the business is trying to figure out right from the horse's mouth. So positioning, messaging, and, and why did you buy from them versus somebody else? We do win-loss analysis sometimes with bigger deals. Okay. And it's absolutely amazing to know that your source of truth is already out there. You've just got to ask the right questions of the right people and then use that. So if you if you ask those questions of your clients and you can then map out a buyer's journey, and that's something that we often do at the beginning of a relationship, is if we can get our clients to understand how their clients either want to or have to buy, we can line out our sales and marketing strategies with the, so it's in alignment with our ideal market versus us saying, here's how we want to sell you our stuff. As soon as we yeah. do that, we create friction. Yeah. So the easiest way to eliminate sure. is get alignment with your clients, get them yeah. your market. Yeah. And I think listeners, I'm sure you'll agree with, with me as, as Dean mentioned, if you're working with Dean and he interviews your clients, there's an element of terrifying fear. <laughs> yeah. That, that, Always, yeah. It, it for me, it's just that little moment. But for other people, it might be much longer. Where you think, oh, do we really want to ask our clients what they think of us, how they work with us? Because I think for many businesses, they're terrified of that, aren't they? They're terrified. They all say, oh, we get client feedback, 
but we know generally that client feedback is going to be a checklist and yes, yes, good, good, and all that sort of thing. But when you get somebody externally that interviews your clients, it's terrifying to feel that they're going to give honest responses, perhaps mm-hmm. responses that we don't want to get. But any response <laughs> is going to be insightful, isn't it? What would you say to those people that are listening to this saying, oh, I could never do that because of that fear? How, how can you? How do you help your clients overcome that fear of speaking to their clients? Yeah, yeah. I think that there's there's a couple of things there. One is how we present the concept of getting client feedback, right? Okay. We're not looking for bad because I think people immediately think, well, shoot, he's going to look for bad news immediately. No, yeah. we're not looking for bad. We're not looking for good. We're just looking for feedback, right? And that feedback often does two or three things. It confirms some of your assumptions. So if you're afraid that you're not providing great service, for example, Let's confirm that. Is it just your insecurity or is that actually what the client is experiencing? So we're going to confirm some things. Second thing is we're going to find out some new things. We're going to find out true insights on what you're doing really well, where you could improve, where there are other opportunities. Um, And so you go from this sort of fear and uncertainty of not really knowing to clarity. And as soon as you get clarity, you can take action. And so that's sort of how we approach it. And, And really, if a client or a prospect pushes back and says, I, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid. I just want them to stop and think about what they just said, yeah. right? If you're if you're concerned that you're not delivering on the promise, then guess what? You're probably not. And we need yeah. a, you're not going to have a business to worry about in the future. No, no. So. no, and it's just a little short space around the corner and it's going to be there, isn't it? So yeah, yeah, completely agree. For sure. yeah. So, You've made this transition in this uh, other part of the business, this other sort of uh, identity of the business in the collaboration and working with the, the, the smaller startup businesses. What kind of difference has that made to your business, working more in a group format and then making that shift? Yeah, well, and you, you mentioned something earlier that, that we've experienced. It gives us some ability to scale and grow, right? I, yeah. I, the one-to-one relationships are great. I love doing that. But there's a limit to every hour in the day, right? So we get yeah. to help more business owners. So for me, that's that's what drives me is, is helping helping business owners achieve their goals and dreams. So that's number one. I think number two, um, the the ability to do to, to scale both my client base, but also our business as well. Where as a consultant, you know, it's what's between our ears that clients buy. Yeah. In a group setting, you can you can create you know um, you can replicate that a lot more easily, uh, and bring in other advisors and other support and add more value to the to the relationships too. So it's, there's been a lot of levels, and honestly, the, the the smaller folks, even if they've been in business for ten or twenty years, if they're smaller, there's a really reason they've stayed small. Yeah, and there's usually some low hanging fruit where we can have a massive impact really quickly, and I love that. That just yeah. that just feeds. Yeah, and I, and I often mention that you know, because I became a coach because I've always, in all my businesses, and most of those were construction-based businesses, had a coach. And any coach or consultant that comes in, generally those initial few things can make a big difference, can't they? The trick is oh, then yeah. carrying that on. That's, that's where the trick is, and that's where a lot of the, the people I worked with um, weren't quite so good, which is why I became a coach in the first place. So it, it sounds like, there's lots of different aspects to what you do and the lessons that people can can learn from you and from the business uh, and in removing that that friction effect um, and p- 
potentially using their own expertise, where do they go to find out more about you? Where, where would you like to direct the listeners to today? The best place is to go to LinkedIn and look okay. me up on LinkedIn. There aren't too many Dean Isaacs on LinkedIn. You'll see me pretty, pretty yep. high on the list. I put a lot of content out for, for business owners and, and, and my market. So please connect with me on LinkedIn. Say hi, don't just connect, right? Send me a message, say hi, let's have a conversation. Yeah. Um, and also once we get our um, Revenue Roadblocks quiz, our scorecard out, we'll be, we'll be promoting that on LinkedIn too. And that's gonna be a free assessment. If you're not sure where, what's holding you back or areas of the business you need to focus on, this scorecard will be able to give you exactly what area of the business you need to spend time on. Um, so be looking out for that too. And, and like LinkedIn's the best place. Yeah, great, amazing. So. We know to connect with you on LinkedIn, Dean Isaacs, so that's D-E-A-N, and then last name Isaac, which is I-S-A-A-C-S. -S. Is that right? There you got it. Yep. Perfect. Great. Um, and of course, listeners, when you reach out to Dean and you do that little connection note, just say, hi, Dean, connecting with you, heard you on the podcast. Let him know, listeners, that... It came from the podcast and you're more likely to get the, the connection that you want then. So that's that's great. Yep. So if you could give the listeners, Dean, a, a tip or a lesson that they can take away from this podcast, what would that be today that you want the listeners to, to go away with? Um, talk to your clients. Mm. Don't, don't, not from a consulting standpoint or delivering service, but ask them questions, ask them questions about why they selected you. What was their process? What was their thought process? Who else did they look at? Try and get some true, honest feedback from your clients because they're the, their opinion is what matters, not yours. Yeah. Um, I think we forget that so much. So there's, there's a lot of potential takeaways, but I would say so many of, of business owners don't spend the time getting that feedback and don't send them a survey. Right, that's not yes. to get it done. Have yeah. a have a person to person conversation with them. Yeah, I, I used to do something where I had the construction company, and uh, my my office manager used to call it Simon's World Tour. And once a year, literally, I would clear a month out in my calendar, and her role was to book an appointment with me to go and meet and speak with the the, the clients that we worked with. And it's interesting, mm -hmm. you know. I asked those questions that you mentioned there and because our retention rate was, was so good and so important to us and it's still important to me and my business now, very often the question I would ask is, why do you keep working with us? Why do you stay with us? Yep. Because you know, that is also a critical question, listeners, that you need to be finding out from your clients. Why are they still working with you? Um, and yeah, you might learn some real gems from that as well. So yeah, it's good. That's a, yeah. that's a brilliant question. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, great, great tips. Great, great value. Um, and I like what you said about that, about the surveys as well. Uh, I think whilst there are some really good surveys and there are some really good formats you can use, they have their place. But when you're looking at that real, real in-depth client questioning and finding out what your clients think about you, Nothing beats a face-to-face, -face. even if it's on Zoom and it's face-to-face -face, like we're talking now. If you're yep. around the world, we can't always do it physically face-to-face, -face, but we can certainly do it online face-to-face -face at the very least, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you were going to have your next coffee, Dean, 
in a um, your favorite location. Um, I'm just trying to think how I can wing this a, a different way. Okay, so if you were having that coffee in a dream location, favorite location, first of all, I'd like to know where that location is going to be, but also what, no, who it would be with. I was going to ask you what book you read, but we've, we've, we've asked a few of those. Who would it be with and why? And what I'd like you to do, because you know, we've had a few people say, oh, yeah, my mom, etc. If it was a, a business hero of yours, and you know, I talked about the, one of the aims of this podcast is to get my hero authors on this podcast. If you were having that dream coffee, where would it be? And who would that hero be, that influencer um, be that you'd be sat with? It would be on Necker Island with Richard Branson. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah, I just listened to his second um, uh, biography. He currently has two from like yep. the first 20 years of his business and the second one. And I just finished the second one. And, and um, while take all like the political whatever out, right? Just look at what he's done in business. His ability to spot trends, see opportunities, and then deliver amazing brand and amazing service and really um, move some of the old giants of industries out yeah. the way. It's, it's truly amazing. And I, I knew a lot about Branson, but I, I learned so much more listening to his bio um, on Audible. So I'd love to sit down with Branson and, and just like soak it all up because that guy has done some amazing stuff in yeah. business. Yeah. I, I, I spoke with somebody many, many years ago, um, probably 20 plus, no, got to be nearly 30 years ago, and they had the privilege of sitting on a panel with Richard Branson and uh, they asked him yeah we're all successful business people but you're really successful because he was chairing this panel uh, and they said you know can you just answer a question you know, what's the difference you know between really successful and like mega successful mm -hmm. and apparently and I don't know how true this story is so please Richard Branson if you're listening to this it's only what somebody told me but they said <laughs> What Richard, has, what Richard said was that urgency. He said, the difference is, he said, when I come up with an idea, when I decide that something needs doing, I make it the most urgent thing to get done. Most of you will put it off to tomorrow or to next week because there's other things that need doing first. He said, I don't. He said, I make it happen. I bring the best people in to make it happen. I make it urgent. He says, and that is the biggest difference between all of you and me. And it was as simple as that. Yeah, that's awesome. And you, you get that in the book. The other yeah. thing, and you just touched on it briefly, is he doesn't do it himself. He brings in yeah. the best people he can find. He's the idea guy. He is the driver. He's not the executor and implementer. And so he will hire the best CEOs, the best you know execs, the best people to actually get it done. And as small business owners, we tend to be the guy that gets it all done. Yeah. And that separates you from your capacity to do work to really growing your business and scaling is yeah. get help quickly, get it early. Yeah. Is that only, only one thing I would say about Richard Branson that I wish he'd done differently. Uh, and it's about his acknowledgement of coaching and mentors. Because I think he left it too long, as many do, because they like to be the hero of the business and you know, be the person that feels it. Yeah, and he's always said he employs the best people. But it's only recently, in probably the last 
five to seven years that he's acknowledged the help from people like Tony Robbins and you know that that coaching and mentoring and I think more people like the guys that you work with would probably reach out earlier if they saw those influencers saying I had help I had coaches I had mentors I had consultants you know and, and I think yeah. that I, I wish people like Richard Branson Bill Gates did it fairly early but I think Richard Branson left it a little bit too late to acknowledge that. So again, Richard, yeah. if you're listening to this podcast, you should have done that earlier. Yeah, um, yeah, good point. Yeah, um, so a great place and a great person to be speaking to as as well. So uh, yeah, amazing. You've given us so, so much value. Um, LinkedIn's the best place for the listeners to go and reach out. Um, and we'll make sure that somehow... We'll either push it on social media or if I don't know when this podcast is going to go live and when your scorecard is out, but we'll make sure uh, that we find a good way of making sure the listeners to this podcast get the details of that as well so they can they can go out and grab a copy of that. That would be great. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much for your time. I know you've got the rest of your Friday to have. I'm st- just getting to the end of my Friday now. You're my, <laughs> my last call of the day. Um but I know I really appreciate your time and listeners. I really, really sincerely hope that you reach out to Dean on LinkedIn, connect with him and you know, take so much value that I know he can help you with to uh, take your business to where it be and remove that friction effect as well. Thank you very much. Thanks, Simon. Appreciate it. And listeners, you've got one thing to do from today. Go out next week, the week after, but make it urgent as we've just talked about with Richard Branson, go speak to your clients. Okay, Go and have those conversations with them. Don't be afraid. You know, Don't be frightened of what you're going to ask them. Don't be frightened of what the responses are going to be. Go out there, get some good advice from Dean and you know, the people around you of what questions to ask, but go out and do it. And then when you've done it, come back, leave us a review of this podcast, and tell us the answers that you've got and what the process was like. We'd love to know whether you're a raving fan of doing it, whether it was terrifying and you're not going to do it ever again, and the insights that it gave you. Go out there and talk to your clients. That's a great way to end the podcast, and I look forward to having you on the next one. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.